0: Our scripture lesson this morning contains two gospel lessons in reality, one from Matthew and one from Luke. And so I'm going to ask you if you will stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel lessons. First from Matthew's Gospel, first chapter, beginning with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph... she will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, "Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us." When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. And our second gospel lesson, this time from Luke's perspective, Luke chapter 2 beginning with verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and it was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. On this second Sunday in Advent, I want to continue with a series of messages that we started last week on the first Sunday in Advent, what the baby saw, who were the faces around the manger on that holy night, and then later, who were the faces in the temple, and then later still, who were the faces in the house when The three strangers, the three magi showed up. What was this little one seeing? What did he think? Who were these people? Last Sunday, on the first Sunday in Advent, we talked about Mary. And this Sunday, today, we're going to talk about Joseph. Next Sunday, the third Sunday in Advent, is going to be a Sunday morning of mostly music tied together with some narrative readings But in our Advent devotional, and in a couple of other ways, we're going to refer to some other faces around the manger. These were the critters. These were the creatures. These were the animals whose stable had been invaded by this different kind of family. And then on the fourth Sunday in Advent, on December 23rd, we're going to look at the shepherds, folks who were sort of low down on the socioeconomic totem pole, but who played such a role in this Christmas story and then on Christmas Eve we're going to think about the angels that surrounded the manger that that announced good news of a great joy to all persons who would listen, who would hear and then on the Sunday after Christmas, December 30th we're going to talk about two old old folk in the temple who had been waiting a long time to see this promised child what did the child think when he looked into the faces of Simeon and Anna. And then on January the 6th, the day of Epiphany, which happens to fall on a Sunday this year, we're going to think about the three strangers, the wise men, the king who came to the house where the babe and his family were. What about those faces around the manger? But for today, there's Joseph. He's mentioned only a few times in the New Testament and then almost exclusively in the birth and childhood stories of Matthew and Luke. Mark's gospel has nothing to say about Joseph. There's no birth story in Mark's gospel. And John's gospel, which has that beautiful prologue, and the word became flesh and lived among us, full of grace and truth, tells the Christmas story in a different way and refers to Joseph twice, actually refers to Jesus as the son of Joseph. Since Joseph appears consistently as the father or the foster father of Jesus, references to him drop out rather early in the gospel story with the inference that perhaps he died while Jesus was still very young and was not a part of Jesus' adult life. Otherwise, he probably would have left a larger imprint on the Christian tradition as we know it, as we have it today. The two genealogies of Joseph from Matthew 1 and Luke 3, though different, trace the descendancy through King David. And that's so important. Their aim was to show that Jesus belonged to the Davidic line. The greatest king in Israel's history to to that time Matthew and Luke wish to affirm not that Joseph was Jesus' actual father, but that he was his legal father, his earthly father. Some scholars have talked about Joseph as being the foster father of Jesus. Both Matthew and Luke speak of the virgin birth. From Matthew, we can conclude that Joseph was a resident of Bethlehem who settled in Nazareth because conditions were not advantageous in Judea under Herod Archelaus. He was kin to Herod the evil one, Herod the Great. Luke states that Joseph lived in Nazareth prior to the birth of Jesus and journeyed to Bethlehem to meet the requirements of the enrollment, the census, the, the tax taking, many ways to refer to what was going on where Caesar could keep his hand on these folks and stay in charge as he was of so much of the world at that time. It's uh, been suggested that the interest of pulling together these stories, some folks call it harmonization, take what Matthew said and Luke said and put it in the, together in a way that makes sense to us. That Joseph's trade as a carpenter took him regularly to Nazareth, which would have been a place where there was much work for him to do at that time. Now, the term carpenter, the word is tecton, it really means a construction worker or a builder. Perhaps a stonemason because there was so much stone around there and and little wood. But there would have been wood in most every structure. And so no doubt Joseph worked in, in wood as well. as so many of the songs like our lovely anthem this morning referred to and his other hymns referred to. Jim Fleming, who is one of my favorite scholars. And if you haven't had a chance to go to the Biblical History Center in the Grange, let me encourage you to do that. That's one of his creations so to speak he points out that most of the villages in the Galilee the region of the Galilee where Nazareth would have been most of those villages were populated by folks who had moved there from Judea and so it would have made sense that Joseph had been living in Nazareth and there he met Mary. Now at the time when Joseph discovered Mary's condition so to speak he was legally Betrothed to her. According to Jewish custom of the time, betrothal was tantamount to marriage. If you were betrothed to somebody, you were already married almost. It usually came about through a a declaration made to the prospective bride and accompanied by a small gift. Sometimes the woman was just approached and uh, asked in the presence of witnesses, Ask, I don't know how much recourse she had to say no, but asked to be the wife of someone. And from that point on, from the betrothal on, the woman was referred to as wife. And if her betrothed should happen to die during that period of betrothal, then she was referred to as a widow. She was subject to the Old Testament law of marriage. She could be set free from that or turn loose or or cut loose break the betrothal only by a letter of divorce and she was subject to the penalty in the law at that time concerning adultery things were much much tougher for women from the Matthew account it appears that that's what Joseph did at first he figured she was with child and he suspected her of adultery but it was the assurance of the angel that the pregnancy of Mary was the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that settled the matter in his heart. Joseph accepted that. Joseph is described as a just man, meaning that he was a devout servant of God, and it regulated his life. The standards of God's law, everything that he knew about his faith, controlled his life and shaped his life. He was obviously... Kind and wise. And Joseph's deep faith is indicated by his glad response, which came to him as revelation in a dream. Mary was quite innocent of wrongdoing. She was to become the mother of the Savior through the work of the Holy Spirit. He should have no fear of proceeding with this relationship with respect to her. Joseph. And it's interesting that Joseph in the Old Testament, a completely different character, was also a dream interpreter. And this Joseph had much revealed to him through dreams. Luke 2, 1 through 7, we're told that Joseph and Mary journeyed toward Bethlehem to be counted in the census, the decree from Caesar. That's why Joseph had to go. You remember we talked about that last week a little bit. Mary was not required to go by the law, but she Thought and said to Joseph, no doubt, don't even think about going to Bethlehem and leaving me to put up with all these wagging tongue gossips around the well in Nazareth. Because there she was without child and without husband. So she went with Joseph and the child was born in Bethlehem. And Luke further reports the visit of the shepherds to the manger, the circumcision, the naming of the child on the eighth day, the purification rites and ceremonies, all these things according to the Jewish law. Jesus was just that. That was his ancestry. That was his background. And then the temple incident with Simeon and Anna, and we mentioned that, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. And then they returned to Nazareth. And the yearly pilgrimage of the parents to Jerusalem to the Feast of the Passover, which was a highlight for Jewish folks. And you remember the year in which Jesus was to be bar Mitzvud, so to speak. And he had gone up to Jerusalem with his parents, and then they started back. And they were a good ways toward home, and they realized, we're missing somebody. I don't know if that's ever happened to you as a, a parent or not. One possible explanation is that when they went to Jerusalem, Jesus was still considered a child. When they came back, he was considered an adult. Children would have traveled with women and children in the middle of the caravan. An adult male would have traveled with the men on the front or the the back of the caravan for security reasons. So. It could be one of those things where Joseph thought he was with Mary and the children, and Mary thought he was with Joseph and the adults. But anyway, he was left behind with the rabbis in the temples where they found him. And that perplexing statement of his, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Apparently, Joseph's authority in the home at Nazareth was respected by Mary's son, Luke represents Joseph as a wise and kind and affectionate father to Jesus. Matthew pictures Joseph as frequently receiving guidance from angels in dreams. He was in touch with the Holy Spirit through dreams, which is an, maybe an unusual thing for most folk. He was told to flee into the land of Egypt until the hostility of Herod had passed, until evil King Herod was, was dead and then to settle in Galilee when he came back rather than Judea. Matthew would agree with Luke. This is a kind and a caring father who would do whatever he had to to take care of his family, to protect his family, to get them out of harm's way, and then to bring them back to the place where God had directed. Most of us, don't you agree, would think that Joseph was a man of great character and great faith, a deep faith, somebody who lived a life of integrity, and skip Ewing picked up that picked up on that in a song that he wrote Trisha Yearwood recorded the song and uh, have no fear I'm not going to sing it but these lyrics are so so they just they help me to see Joseph in a little different way You may know the song he was her man she was his wife and late one winter night he knelt by her as she gave birth but it wasn't his child Yet still, he took him as his own, and as he watched him grow, it brought him joy, but it wasn't his child. But like a father, strong and kind, and I believe he did his best. It wasn't easy for him, but he did all that he could. His son was different from the rest, but it wasn't his child. And when the boy became a man, he took his father's hand, and soon the world would all know why. It wasn't his child. But like a father, he was strong and kind, and I believe he did his best. It wasn't easy for him, but he did all he could. He was God's child. Who was this Joseph in the life of Jesus? Perhaps Joseph's greatest gifts to Mary and the child included giving Jesus an inheritance and a name, an ancestry. In a likely scenario, if Joseph did indeed die before Jesus was grown, then Mary and Jesus would have been okay because Joseph had apparently made arrangements for Jesus and Mary to be cared for. And that wasn't always the case with widows and orphans way back in that day. Joseph and Mary, doing what he could, trying not to focus on things that he could not do. And there were many things that Mary and Joseph could not control back in that day, in that situation. There was a conception by the Holy Spirit. There was the gossip in the village of Nazareth, no doubt, when Mary was with child in the tiny village. But they couldn't control any of that but they could leave town, and they did. They focused on what they could control and not on what they could not control. They could not control the census and the fact that Joseph would have to travel to Bethlehem to be counted, but they could control whether or not Mary would go with him. They could not control that there would be no room in their relatives' guest chamber. Now, I know how we like to tell the story about the inn and the innkeeper, but the word translated inn here is actually kataluma, and it means a guest room. And there was a guest room on most houses, on the outside of the house, and those guest rooms in Bethlehem would have been full at that time because of the census and all these folks coming back home. And the relatives that they had there, their guest rooms were full. They couldn't control that. The no vacancy signs were out everywhere. But they could control the choice to go to the stable, probably a cave, 69 degrees year-round or thereabouts, and there the baby would be born and placed in the feed trough. They could not control that the Magi would visit the paranoid King Herod, who would set out to destroy the child, but they could control how they would use the gifts of the Magi and many think that they used the gifts of the Magi to pay for, to fund that flight to Egypt. There were costs involved, and this was a poor couple. So maybe that's what happened to the gold and frankincense and myrrh. They had a choice. They could control that. A lot of things came to pass that they could not control just as there are things that come into our lives over which we have no control. We can choose not to focus on those things. We can choose to focus on those things in our lives over which we have much control and over which we can and should seek God's guidance. What are some of the things that come to pass in our lives over which we have no control? Things having to do with health and family situation, or things at work or at school, traffic and weather, the loss of a loved one that we thought we couldn't live without, things over which we have no control. Could be that the story of Mary and Joseph is saying to us, don't worry so much about those circumstances over which you have no control in your life. But prioritize attitudes and willingness to do the right thing and the willingness to act justly and responsibly over those things which we do have control. Focus not so much on the biggies that are beyond us, but focus and work toward right resolution for those things over which we do have control in this life. The less we worry about what we cannot control and change, And the more we work on what we can control and change, the less of a grip that fear will have on us. Could it be that the second thing that the baby saw after the face of Mary the mother was Joseph the earthly father, a face that reflected compassion and integrity, a face that would later convey the attitude, don't worry, but do work, When the risen and living Christ looks into our faces, does he see that same attitude? Does he see us bogged down with things over which we have no control? Or does he see us working and praying and pulling together to shape those things over which we have much control? Don't worry. Do work. That's not a bad way, is it, to prepare for the coming christmas and really that's not a bad way is it to prepare for the rest of our lives amen